Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com. The Urban Growth Boundary makes for just some fascinating dichotomy. It makes for fascinating interactions. And that's really what we want to present. Welcome to Living on the Line, a production of That Cast Network, taking in the views from Oregon's urban and rural divide. Now, Jason Naughty, one man who is living on the line. My name is Jason Naughty, and you're listening to Life on the Line, a look at life along Portland, Oregon's urban growth boundary. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and check out other shows on thatcast.com. Right now, I'm sitting on the grounds of my home at Manningkamna Farm along Oregon's urban growth boundary with the city of Hillsboro. What's an urban growth boundary? Well, in 1973, Oregon Governor Tom McCall convinced the Oregon legislature to adopt the nation's first set of statewide land use planning laws. He brought in a coalition of farmers and environmentalists and persuaded the legislature that the state's natural beauty and easy access to nature would be lost amid urban sprawl. On May 29, 1973, the Senate Bill 100 was signed into law. McCall explained his reasoning to the legislature, quote, the interests of Oregon for today and in the future must be protected from the grasping, <laughs> grasping wastrels of the land. We must respect another truism, that unlimited and unregulated growth leads inexorably to a lowered quality of life, end quote. State land use goals require urban growth boundaries, wide use of urban land, and protection of natural resources. To reach those goals, the Columbia Region Association of Governments proposed an urban growth boundary for the Portland region in 1977. The plans and growth projections of the counties around Portland, Clackamas, Multnomah, and Washington counties, along with 24 cities and more than 60 special service districts, had to be accommodated when drawing the boundary. The governing body Metro was created by voters in 1978, and it inherited the stewardship of the boundary. The first boundary was adopted in 1980, and since 1997, Oregon law also requires Metro to keep a 20-year supply of land for future residential development inside the boundary. Basically, people keep moving here, they keep expanding the boundary. The boundary was meant to grow, though. And since the late 1970s, the Portland metro area boundary has been expanded about three dozen times. Most moves were small, about 20 acres or less, but larger ones followed, and we sit right at the cusp of one of them. We currently sit to the north of Hillsborough, Oregon, just outside of the metro area boundary. Evergreen Road draws a line directly between the city, my farm, and acres of farmland preserved for the next 46 years as part of a rural reserve. Back in 2014, Metro agreed to expand into the south of Hillsboro and across Jackson School Road to the east of my farm, but it left this land untouched, as well as the land to the north of it. Recently, neighbors along the rural reserve have been either investing in their farmland, as a new lavender farm did just down the road a couple acres away, or have been selling their land entirely for agricultural use. We, however, are doing what we came here to do preserve this farm as best we can. Farm was founded back in 1851, eight years before the state of Oregon. 
Carlos Dudley Wilcox and his wife Elizabeth settled on a donation land claim on the Tualatin Plains in what was then Washington County, Oregon Territory. Carlos had come to Oregon country in 1847 with his parents and married Elizabeth when she was 15 back in 1851. The couple had five children on their 640-acre farm, but in 1872, the Wilcoxes divorced and Elizabeth got the southern portion of the farm. Elizabeth remarried on January 29, 1874 to native New Yorker Lewis Manning. On Elizabeth's 320 acres of farm, she and Lewis raised their, her children from the prior marriage and grew various crops. They built the farmhouse that is now our home in 1876 and built a two-story barn in the early 1880s. The farm was founded in 1851, eight years before the state of Oregon. Carlos Dudley Wilcox and his wife Elizabeth settled on a donation land claim in the Tualatin Plains in Washington County, Oregon Territory. Carlos had come to Oregon country in 1847 with his parents and married 15-year-old Elizabeth in 1851. The couple had five children on their 640-acre farm, but in 1872, the Wilcoxes divorced and Elizabeth got the southern 320 acres. Elizabeth remarried in 1874 to native New Yorker Lewis Manning, and the two raised her children from the previous marriage there. They also grew various crops, built the farmhouse that is now our home in 1876, and built a two-story barn in the 1880s, and that barn still stands today. Herman Kamna, meanwhile, immigrated from Germany to Washington County with his family in 1886. He married Anne Reese in February of 1900, and the couple purchased 175 acres from the Mannings in 1903. The Mannings stayed on the estate and lived in the farmhouse. However, the Kamnas kept up the farm until Lewis's death in 1910 and Elizabeth's death in 1916. The Kamnas then took control of the farm and moved into the farmhouse themselves. They had four children, one of whom died in a farm accident at age three. One son, Edgar, took over the work of the farm and in about 1910 built an addition onto the barn. You can still see it off of the back of the original two-story structure as it lays lower to the ground. In 1920, they built a second addition to the barn to accommodate the combustion engine. As you can, there will be slats in between uh, the siding that allow for ventilation. Uh, it would have been used for farm equipment and the like. However, they also just kept adding buildings. Uh, they added a woodshed, they added a privy, they added a pump house, they added a chicken coop. There was a smokehouse, a potato shed, a canning shed that was also an outdoor kitchen during the summer. Uh, the last addition was a garage in the 1920s, and that is still used by my wife as a garage today. In the 1920s, the family also added indoor plumbing to the farmhouse and enclosed two of the porches. They needed a bathroom, there one was. Uh, their bathroom also basically the front porch of our house. Very classy. Uh, the Camnas grew oats, fescue, ryegrass, vetch, and subclover on the farm and used the barn to sort and pack the seeds running the farm well into the 1950s. It's this 5,000 square foot barn that's maybe the best way to gauge the age of the place. The front portion, which I'm standing in now and which you can still see from the street, was one of the first structures built here. It's still standing and still has the Kamna's grain mill in it.
Step back a few feet and you're in a segment of the barn built in the early 1900s to store livestock and other milling equipment. The last portion of the barn is a ventilated room with a cement floor added in the 1920s to accommodate cars and gas-powered farm equipment. Less than a mile from this barn's door is Intel's Jones Farm Campus. About two miles down from there is its massive Ronler Acres manufacturing facility. About another mile from there, it's Hawthorne Farm Campus. Uh, the company brings in 70,000 people uh, just about every workday along the roads right in front of our barn. And its expansion and growth have changed a great deal of the area along the urban growth boundary. Less than a mile down the road across from Jones Farm is Hillsboro Airport, which whose planes you can hear overhead. It's the second busiest airport in Oregon and houses Nike founder Phil Knight's personal fleet of aircraft in a hangar on its east side. Its north runway sends planes right over my farm and neighboring farms. Speaking of Phil Knight, 12,000 Nike employees also live about a mile away from here and in the town below us in Hillsboro. Yet near all of that, we're raising two goats on about three quarters of an acre. We're drawing water from a well that was hand dug more than a century ago. We're picking apples, planting cucumbers, growing wild blackberry. One of our neighbors keeps a colony of bees here, but we're not alone. The neighbors to our east run a Mexican rodeo on their property. Just north of them, there's a family that's been here for generations and farms tulips. To our north, there are horse farms and a controversial wild animal sanctuary. My plan is to share as many of the stories around me as I can, and that includes the tech workers, farm workers, working class immigrants, business owners, and rural holdouts to our south as well. We'll explore the boundary here in Washington County, but we'll also walk its limits in Multnomah County and in Clackamas, uh, all the way to the east uh, near the Columbia River Gorge. Uh, we'll be in Beaverton in the Portland metro area. We'll talk to farmers, ranchers, businesses, and baseball teams along the boundary and see what it means to have such a varied landscape within a fairly small space. We'll hear their experiences and concerns, but mostly we're going to sit back and let you see who our neighbors are and how Portland's growth affects folks on both sides of the line. These aren't stories or vignettes, they're people's lives, and they're deeply affected by where this boundary is drawn and how it expands into the future. You can look at the urban growth boundary and make some really lazy assumptions. You can assume that it's all farmers on the one side and it's all Intel and Nike people on the other. You can assume there's very little mixing and when it, there is, it's awkward. You can assume certain things even about the geography of the place, how it just is basically farmland looking to get taken over one day or how it is, you know, pushing up against the city that likely shouldn't have sprawled that way to begin with. And all of it's wrong. It's, uh, all of it has been unfounded in the years that I've lived here. And when you talk to neighbors about it, I think you see this line and it's something that kind of unites people that wouldn't have you know, kind of lived in proximity to begin with. You go to downtown Hillsboro and you see 
all different sorts of people, whether it be you know farmers and overalls, or you know uh, folks who are engineers at Intel coming into Amelia's for lunch, just all kind of getting together and sharing a kind of unique space in the world. Uh, this is not something you see on the East Coast. I come from New Jersey. My last stop before here was Boston. And let me tell you, your, <laughs> your food is not necessarily seen before it gets to you. Uh, the farms aren't necessarily something that you're within a good shot of if you're living in an urban area. And here it's amazing to go to a farmer's market where actual farmers just from a couple of blocks up are coming down and selling things. And, you know, people are able to just, you know, kind of go a couple blocks away and get a Christmas tree or just drive through the hills or go to a party on a like 727 plane that somebody has parked out in the middle of their mountain plot. Uh, the urban growth boundary makes for just some fascinating uh, dichotomy. It makes for fascinating interactions. And that's really what we want to present here to you. Uh, and a lot of it won't be my voice, which is great because I'm umming and uhing my way through this entire thing as we speak. Uh, but I really just want to give you a glimpse of the things that I see regularly. When I go to the country auction, for example, uh, when I go to the uh, Washington County Fair or the, uh, the Hillsborough Air Show, there's still an air show out here, despite the fact that uh, the growth boundary is basically built up all around the airport at this point. Uh, I want to just introduce you to people, uh, maybe get into the neighbor's rodeo, maybe go down to the businesses that have been here for a while. Uh, one of the oldest pharmacies slash lunch counters in Oregon happens to be right inside the urban growth boundary. So we may hit that. Uh, but basically, I want this to be free form. I want the people around here to hopefully listen and maybe share some of their stories with us too. I'm one guy. I can get around, I can, uh, you know, kind of explore and see who's out and around there, but I can't get to everybody. So I kind of need a little bit of help. So I look forward to hearing from more of you. I look forward to meeting a lot of you uh, for, the, for the first time and again. Um, it's been a wonderful experience living along here. It's been, you know, fraught with some uncertainty. When they did the grand bargain, uh, my wife and I wondered, what's the next step? Where do we take it from here? Uh, what do we want for the property? And these are questions that people who own land along the boundary think of every day. Uh, who are our neighbors going to be in five years, in 50 years? Uh, so this is kind of the, the whole point, the, the entire purpose. Uh, it's going to be very Oregonian. So it's going to be yeah, polite. It's going to, you know, not necessarily be the cleanest of uh, conversations or confrontations. And I hope it doesn't get to that. I know, you know, behind us, there are families who, between themselves, have arguments about where they want the next step. Uh, do they want to continue farming? Uh, do they want uh, developers to come in and create neighborhoods that they never grew up in? Um, and, and it's all, I tell you what, it's all valid. Uh, listening to everybody's concerns and listening to how they want this place to look and feel and the kind of place they want to live in, 
I think it's kind of a great conversation that I wish was happening more broadly. Uh, so I hope you'll continue listening. Please, once again, subscribe. Uh, check out all the other shows on thatcast.com. But please come back to see how we're doing here on the line and come and take a look at what life on the urban growth boundary is like, what life on the line is like. This is Jason Nadi, and I hope to see you again in my neighborhood sometime soon. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com.